This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So I, I got my haircut this afternoon at lunch. Is that why you're not using video? Hello and welcome to the EDH RecCast, brought to you by the best deck building site on the web for the commander format, EDH Rec. My name is Joey Schultz and I'm joined today by my lovely co-hosts. First up, the Speedster, whose article series takes you from 60 to 100. It's Matt Morgan. Joey, did you hear the rumor going around about butter? Eh, never mind, actually. I probably shouldn't spread it. Oh, man. Every week. You know, at least this time, though, it's definitely thematically tied to the holidays. So I'll give you a pass on that dad joke there, Matt. Next, the man whose articles remind you to look in the margins, Dana Roach. Uh, like the new Secret Lair product, Joey, the wisdom I'm going to provide tonight is available for a limited time only. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And I'm Joey Schultz, author of the Commander Showdown series. All these articles and more can be found at edhrec.com, along with some awesome featured community content, such as other Commander podcasts and gameplay videos. EDHREC itself is a fantastic deck-building resource that compiles data from deck lists all over the internet to provide helpful recommendations for new Commander decks. And here on the podcast, we're going to give all the data a little more context. What is our topic this week, fellas? We're going to talk about gravy cards, cards that are so good they even have a little extra on them. That is right. This week we are talking about gravy. This episode will air right after the Thanksgiving holiday in America, which, I mean, let's face it, we are aware, is a problematic thing. And we are also aware <laughs> that it is not a thing in all countries that our listenership resides within, including our editor, actually, Ken Bettle, who is from Canada and is probably uh, currently bathing in a vat of maple syrup or something and will be far too polite to edit out what I just said about him. But the point is, uh, this is a time where people come together to focus on the important things. Food. 
So this week we're honoring the great tradition of eating far too much food by talking about gravy. Those cards that have that little bit of extra oomph that you cannot help but love. But before we get to that, we've got some fun stories to tell about games that we have played recently. Most notably, I have a story about a card that we talked about at the end of our previous show. I was playing against my younger brother and got a bunch of zombie tokens, as I am wont to do in my reanimator decks, and I went to attack him for lethal And then he looked me dead in the eyes and said, Hey, Joey, I got this card as an idea from your podcast and played Echoing Truth targeting one of my zombie (laughs) tokens, which eliminated all of them. And it was a very deep moment of personal shame. Well well played, Joey's brother. Joey, did you sacrifice one in response to save the rest? There, there we go, yep. <laughs> so that's the thing. We actually, in the heat of the moment, <laughs> we were talking with Olivia Gobert-Hicks uh, last episode, we had talked about Echoing Truth targeting one of the treasure tokens to get rid of a bunch of treasure, and a bunch of folks correctly pointed out that you can sacrifice the target sure. of treasure in response so that all those treasures don't go away. But that's what's so interesting about cards like this and about the game in general is that sometimes you get so excited by crazy plays that you totally miss onboard effects. And, you know, I do think that there is something to be said for playing a player rather than just playing the board state. Sometimes you can get people that way. I don't want to make it sound like you're edging out people who don't know better about the game, that you're going to hide rules interactions from people, especially newer players. But there are some times that you can take advantage of a skilled opponent who you realize has actually missed something on board. And that could definitely be one of those instances. But using an Echoing Truth on a zombie token, probably going to be more fruitful for you than using it on a treasure token. I would tend to agree with that. Yes. <laughs> so, how about you guys? Any fun stories from recent games you have played? So, I actually had an interesting one the uh, the other day. Um, that was semi luck. Um, I was playing my Veil of the Nightclad deck, and <clears throat> I had hit everybody pretty hard. I had knocked two players down to two life, and the other player was at a relatively small amount too. But I had no way to finish everybody off. But I had a pretty solid defensive board state, and I was fairly sure I would be around alive when it came back around to me at which point I could kill everybody pretty pretty easily um, <clears throat> I wasn't anticipating some haste shenanigans from from another player who was at two life who then swung at me with what would have been lethal and I was looking at my board side I didn't have any sack outlets to to sacrifice up to Vela to kill him at two life so I'm trying to improvise I had a Pongify in hand so I knew I could hit one of my own tokens if I needed to, to do one point of damage with a creature leaving the battlefield. But I couldn't figure out how to how to do the second one until I happened to notice I did have the Karn Silver Golem in play, um, and I was able to turn one of my lands, I had an artifact land out, into a creature, and Karn gives that creature power and toughness equal to its converted mana cost, which is zero which got the death trigger I needed to kill the person swinging at me with lethal. Man, sacrificing your own stuff or removing your own permanence for the damage of your opponents rather than yourself is one of my favorite things, so I love that. So yes, I, I killed two people by pongifying one of my own tokens and turning my Dark Steel Citadel into a creature. Awesome felt, stuff. Felt pretty good. Solid. How about you, Matt? So I was playing my Tasa Karloff deck, and we're playing against a Gishath dinosaur tribal deck, and Trapjaw Tyrant had everybody pinned down. He had a whole table full of dinosaurs at the ready, and there wasn't really any way out, so I had to tutor for Toxic Deluge and cast the most painful Toxic Deluge of my life uh, of 13 because he had a plus one, plus one counter 
on Galta. So I had to kill everything. Somehow, though, I had a Krav on board that had 14 toughness. So I toxic deluged for 13 and was still left with a 1-1 (laughs) that somehow survived. I didn't win the game. Because some something real silly happened. I don't don't remember, but I just remember I, I looked at the board and, and was going kind of through what what can I find to get us out? Because the the graveyards were all full of dinosaurs and even more stuff. So even a living death wouldn't have gotten me out of that situation. So I had to toxic deluge for thirteen. I've never gone into double digits with that card before, and it certainly was painful. Thankfully, I was pay- playing Tasa, so I had like sixty life because all my tokens had life link. But yeah, that's the most painful toxic deluge I've ever experienced. I don't know about you guys. I I got a level with you. That's kid stuff. I have used toxic deluge offensively Whoa. for like twenty or something because I've got that Graven deck that powers up Graven equal to the amount of life that you've lost that turn. So toxic deluge for like twenty, and then you play a hasty Graven means that you're gonna really finish some people off. I, I've never cast one that large before, but I have seen a toxic deluge cast for a hundred and something one time good lord when someone mind slavered in a laurel player <laughs> oh pain pain they, and they panic just, that's delicious <laughs> a laurel deserves that for playing a laurel yeah, yeah. though so no that's, there was that's everyone wonderful. on the table was like yeah no that's good that's good use of mind slaver i'm cool with that <laughs> that, that is, like mind slaver itself isn't even like that noble of a card but that's that's the most noble of uses right there yes <laughs> That's really, really funny. All right, those are awesome, but we have to get on to our main topic, and that's those gravy cards. Here we want to discuss some cards that have some really excellent bonus upside that you honestly barely even need for the card to be playable. And to note, we want to try and avoid modal cards like charms or planeswalkers that have multiple abilities because the plurality of abilities on those cards is really part of their appeal. Even if you never use some of those abilities, the reason that you're playing those cards is because you've got access to multiple things. So what we want to talk about are cards that have tacked on bonuses that like these cards could lack an entire section of their text and still be perfectly serviceable. So Matt, what is our first gravy card? Our first gravy card, card with upside, is Path of Ancestry. So Path of Ancestry is a land that enters the battlefield tapped. You can tap it to add one mana of any color of your commander's color identity to your mana pool when that mana is spent to cast a creature spell that shares a creature type with your commander, scry one. That's, I mean, in a Sultai deck, I could just play an Opulent Palace. In a Mardu deck, I could just play, you know, a regular old Tri-Land. But if I'm playing Path of Ancestry, whenever I cast my commander, I also get a little bit of scry here on the side. And, I mean, you don't need it, but that's just gravy. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and especially when you get to to four and five color decks too, it just becomes a a tapped command tower, and command tower is one of the most played lands in the format. So, right off the bat, just being able to match your commander for colors is already pretty powerful. Yeah, just that little bit of extra stuff. Sometimes the scry won't matter too much, but sometimes it will, and it's just a really cool extra bit of stuff that you get on the side that makes the dish so much more delicious. Dana, what's our next one? Oh, our next one is the Great Henge. An artifact everyone's pretty familiar with at this point in time, nine mana. This spell costs X less to cast, where X is our greatest power among creatures you control. Whenever a non-token creature enters the battlefield under your control, draw a card. That's all it needs to say. 
that's where you can end right there. That's 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 a really really good card that everyone's thrilled with. But it doesn't end there. You also put a plus one counter on that creature, and you can tap it for two green mana. It's a mana rock, and you gain two life when you tap it for mana. There's so much extra stuff on this card, guys. <laughs> the two life one is almost insulting. <laughs> <laughs> but really, though, it is amazing. Like, this thing is the appetizer, the main course, and yes. dessert all in one. Why does it have all of these abilities? It doesn't need all of them. It could be lacking that life gain, the mana production, and the plus one counter, and I'd still be perfectly fine playing a card like this that makes itself cheaper and draws me cards when I play creatures. Yeah, if it didn't put a counter on and it just tapped for one green and didn't gain me life, we would still be, be saying, yeah, tapping for green is unnecessary. <laughs> yeah, it's a bonkers, bonkers card for sure. Our next one is also a colored artifact, and that is the card Bolus's Citadel. Y'all, this thing is crazy. Six mana, that's three black, black, black for a legendary artifact that says you may look at the top card of your library anytime, and you may play the top card of your library, but if you cast a spell this way, you pay life equal to its converted mana cost rather than paying its mana cost. It also has an activated ability that I'm going to level with you guys. I have forgotten multiple times during gameplay. It also can tap and sacrifice 10 of your non-land permanents to make each opponent lose 10 life. Playing stuff for no mana off the top of your deck, including lands, is really good, but you can also use this as a win condition by sacrificing your stuff. This card's bonkers. Yeah, so every single game that I have seen with Bolus of Citadel in play, I don't think I once have seen the activated ability. I think everybody just focuses on, and rightfully so, the part of the card that is insanely powerful lets you do unfair things. So the fact that there's this ability that just casually is just tacked on that also happens to be crazy powerful. I, yeah, I, I forget that there's even an ability. And I think literally everybody that I have ever seen play the card has done the same thing. Well, it's also one extra thing that's easy to overlook here. In the past, these kind of things have traditionally also made you play with the top card of your library revealed. So everyone could at least see what you are potentially doing. Mm. Another little bit of gravy here is you get to keep the information secret. Yeah, that's also true. You don't have the Future Sight backlash or the Oracle of Moldiah backlash where people can see if you just drew a counterspell, if you just drew a fog or something like that. That is actually a really good point as well. Hey, Dana, do you like artifacts? I love artifacts, Joey. So then how do you feel about our next gravy card? Um, I feel like Hellkite Tyrant is really, really good even if you don't use it to win the game. <laughs> and for those who don't remember, Hellkite Tyrant is a dragon with flying and trample, which is relevant because it has double evasion. And when it deals combat damage to a player, gain control of all artifacts that player controls. So when Hellkite Tyrant comes down, people generally want to remove it as soon as possible so they don't lose their artifacts. Mm -hmm. Forgetting, of course, the ir almost irrelevant text in the card that I didn't read that says... At the beginning of your upkeep, if you control 20 or more artifacts, you win the game. I mean, you said that people aren't using Hellkite Tyrant to win the game. Not with that last triggered ability, but they right, are using right. it to win the game by stealing everything. Yes. Yeah, like, that. that is, com I mean, not that it isn't awesome text. That's really, really cool that it can do that. But that's utterly unnecessary. This card is fantastic, even without the, the win condition. 
yeah, really, really good stuff there. This next card I'm going to take, it is something that I had talked about on our previous show during the Challenge of Stats segment. That is the card Necromancy. Three mana, black enchantment that can take a creature out of your graveyard and then enchant that creature. And then if this particular enchantment falls off, the creature will go back to the graveyard. But it's just a really great reanimation effect. Most reanimation effects are like four or five mana, but Necromancy is another version of Animate Dead that lets you get a creature back from the graveyard back into play for really, really cheap. I love this thing, but what I also love about it is that it has this extra thing that I basically never even use, but it's always nice to have the option, I guess. And that's the fact that you can cast Necromancy as though it had flash. If you do, Necromancy sacrifices itself at the end of the turn, but sometimes you can use Necromancy to flash a creature out from the graveyard for one turn to get an awesome death trigger effect, an awesome blocker, an awesome, an awesome enter the battlefield effect. Like, that's so good, but even if it didn't have that ability, it's another just three mana version of Animate Dead, a really great way to get big creatures out of your graveyard. I love this thing. And it's like the creature gets exiled like Unearth does or something. It's still there in your graveyard to do shenanigans with next turn. Yeah, really, really fun stuff with that one. Why does it have flash? That's so crazy. It's such a good card, guys. Matt, what's our next gravy card? Our next gravy card, Heavenly Blade Master. Five and a white for a 3-6 angel. Has flying and double strike. When Heavenly Blade Master enters the battlefield, you may attach any number of auras and an equipment you control to it. And the gravy bit of that is other creatures you control get plus one, plus one for each aura and equipment attached to Heavenly Blade Master. So we talk about how Boros and Mono White need ways to kind of take advantage of different mana. Well, this certainly does it. It gets everything attached for free, and then it just happens also to have quite the Anthem effect and just push it over the edge. Yeah, a flying and double strike that auto-attaches all of your equipment as soon as it enters. That's really, really potent. Even if you only have, like, a couple of equipment, two or three, the double strike on this angel means that the mana costs that you're evading uh, right there, like that's really, really meaningful. This thing can do a lot of damage. And then it also has this pump effect that you barely even need if you're doing Voltron stuff, but it's nice to have the option. Like that's, I feel like definitionally gravy right there. There's some extra stuff that maybe won't even come up, but the fact that it's got it on top of an already really excellent effect, that's just awesome. Yeah, I, I've died to this card uh, on more than one occasion um, in an Enchantress deck at least once and at least once in someone's equipment deck. You also don't see it coming, and really, really often one of the equipments that sucks onto itself gives it haste. So just out of the blue, all of a sudden you think, okay, I can block that, I can block that, and then this angel falls with double strike that turns into a 14-14 you know, because of various swords that has haste and hexproof, and you just die. Very much. And hey, the next card on our list also has a pretty erroneous gravy anthem effect on it. Yeah, Mirari's Wake. This is an old school card that still sees a ton of play. The important text, whenever you tap a land for mana, add one mana to your mana pool of any type that land produced. So it's a mana doubler. That's always fantastic. And creatures you control get plus one, plus one. Yeah, just because, you know, just because. Just why not? I mean, if you don't, if, if someone's playing the right kind of deck with this card, you need to remove this or you will just lose the game. 
Well, that's the thing. It's one of the cheapest ways to double up your mana. The only other ones that I can think of that are at comparable cost or less mana cost require you to play monocolor, such as Gauntlet of Power or uh, Cryptgast, which requires you basically to be playing mono black to get a full doubling mana effect. Mirari's Wake, unlike Mana Reflection or Zendikar Resurgent, it's five mana to double all of your lands. That's really, really important. That's really meaningful. But then also it has an anthem just because. That mana doubling effect is the real, real awesome slice of the cake here, but it's got a little cherry on top, a little bit of extra gravy. That is a mixed food metaphor that probably sounds a little <laughs> gross now that I've said it out loud. Sorry about that. But like this, the anthem just is also there and it just feels really good to have that tiny extra something. I think, Joe, you wanted to go with cranberry on top to keep things consistent with the Thanksgiving theme. Ah, I, th- I think I think you are correct. Basically, Joey is just hungry the longer that this episode goes. So we're going to move on now to our next options. And these are both cards that have overload. I'm looking at Mizzix's Mastery and, of course, Cyclonic Rift. And this isn't the part where we say that the extra ability that it has is the gravy part, that being the overload. The extra ability that these cards have that I consider gravy are their original versions. So Mizzix's Mastery says that you exile target card that's an instant or sorcery from your graveyard, and for each card exiled this way, you copy it and may cast the copy without paying its mana cost, and then you exile Mizzix's Mastery. But of course, instead of paying the four mana for that effect, you can also overload it for eight mana to exile each instant or sorcery from your graveyard and cast them all that way. Cyclonic Rift, we all know, two mana instant to return target non-land permanent. You don't control to its owner's hand, but it's got that six and a blue overload cost to return each non-land permanent you don't control to their owner's hand. Really excellent cards with awesome duality, but frankly, if Mizzix's Mastery was just an eight mana spell that does that overload effect, and if Cyclonic Rift was just a seven mana spell that does that overload effect, I would still play those. Those are still really, really good. The fact that they also have tinier versions of themselves is the gravy part. Their original version, their original mana cost is what feels like gravy. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And and as as bad as it sometimes feels with Cyclonic Rift casting it for its non-overload cost, the fact that you have that option when someone, you know, when you weren't ready to to cast it just yet or you were being greedy and like, I'll wait one more turn and all of a sudden someone drops you know, a triumph of the hordes and a swing in for lethal, and you're like, if I pop that one, I have a rift here. I can pop that one creature back to hand and and not take lethal in fact, and then you know survive one more turn. That is really really useful to have that there attached to a spell that usually would cost seven mana. Um, you know, how many times are you stuck holding on to that? You know, overwhelming stampede or that rise of the dark realms or something because you don't have mana in hand to use it. Being able to save yourself with a rift or save yourself with a mystic's mastery is really, really nice. Yeah, that's just it. This sort of feels like a Rise of the Dark Realms, but it also has a two-mana option that lets you just pick one target creature or something. Like, I still right. play Rise of the Dark Realms, even at the nine-mana version, and that's how I feel about Mizzix's Mastery and Cyclonic Rift. At the eight- and seven-mana versions, I'm still super happy with these cards. The extra two-mana or four-mana things, like the, the one target... That's that's just extra for me, but I don't need them to play. It's just extra value, which just feels so, so good when you can get that extra value. Hey, Matt, I think this next card on our list is one of your very favorite cards, isn't it? It is one of my very favorites. There's no denying this is probably scientifically proven, actually, to be one of the best cards ever, possibly. <laughs> I, can't, I, I don't have any actual studies to back that up, but I will tell you about the cards. So the next card is Rishkar's Expertise. Four green green for a sorcery. Draw cards equal to the greatest power among creatures you control, and the gravy on top of it is you may cast a card with converted mana cost five or less from your hand without paying its mana cost. 
So already, Rishkar's expertise is like a Soul's Majesty that just doesn't target. It's a, a better Soul's Majesty. You're drawing a bunch of cards equal to something big. So if somebody, you know, kills your Omnath, for example, that you can't draw five cards, you can draw four cards because you have a different creature out, and then you still get to cast that five, you know, convert a mana cost spell for free. It's such a wild, insanely value card. It's... Uh, you guys need to take it from here because I'm just going to gush. <laughs> <laughs> no, it is really excellent. And that distinction between Rish cards and the card Soul's Majesty is really important. Soul's Majesty says that you draw cards equal to the power of target creature you control, which means if it has Shroud, you can't target the big creature necessarily. But also, if you target one of your creatures and someone's like, eh, path to exile on that creature, your Soul's Majesty completely fizzles. Rish cards expertise for just one more mana is going to provide you extra value by not completely, you know, throwing itself away and forfeiting the spell because it it will just pick the next highest creature that you have because you didn't have to target anything. That on its own is very, very good, very powerful indeed. And then you also get to play a free thing. Yeah, I mean, it functionally winds up costing you one mana, essentially, because presumably you were going to probably cast something that turn, and hopefully you're casting something that's going to cost you five, in which case expertise, you know, which costs six, like... Ideally, pretty often, you're just going to be basically drawing all those cards for one mana in green. Um, yeah. It's yeah. an amazing card, and it's, like Matt said, totally playable, even if it doesn't let you basically get away with it for one mana. But the fact that you can is bonkers. Absolutely. Our next card on the list is also a green card, and this one we might run into a little bit of division here. Dana doesn't seem to think that this card's as full of gravy as I think it is, but let's read the card first. This card is Force of Vigor, two green green for an instant that says you destroy up to two target artifacts or enchantments. On the whole, I'm super happy with that. Return to Dust is a basically functional equivalent to this. Return to Dust will let you exile two things, but only if you've cast it on your main phase. Force of Vigor is for four mana going to destroy two artifacts or enchantments, and I really love that at instant speed, but it's also got this extra thing that says if it's not your turn, you may exile a green card from your hand rather than paying the spell's mana cost. So you can ditch a green card and play Force of Vigor for free to also do this thing. You don't even necessarily have to use that all the time, but I think that just the format of destroying two things is really, really good value. Yeah, I, mean, I would agree with that. It, it is a good value card. I, it's a card that I don't love as much as is either of you two do. But I don't think it's bad, and regardless of me not loving it, you're absolutely right. It is still a playable card, being able to two-for-one somebody at that cost in blue, or excuse me, in green, for sure, even if you don't utilize the cost-nothing option. Yeah, as I take it, Dana, your stance is really that you really do care about that exile effect, though. I care about the exile effect, and I do think in green you're competing with Nature's Claim, which only costs one. You're competing with, like, you know, Cross and Grip or Deglamour on Revel the Aether, which tuck things. Um, so I think, like, as a spell, it has a lot of competition for things that are really good. But if we're just looking at the gravy factor, it's absolutely a playable card, even if you aren't factoring in the ability to, to, to cast it when you've tapped yourself out. Yeah, fun, fun stuff. Dana, what's our next card on the list? Our next card on the list is Idol of Oblivion. It's a relatively new card. I think it was in the Jira deck this year, the um, the Naya token build. It's two mana artifact. You can tap it to draw a card, activate this ability only if you created a token this turn. So it's the kind of thing you probably only want to run in a deck that tends to make tokens pretty frequently. But if you do, that's really, really good. However, you can also spend eight mana and sacrifice it to create a 10-10 colorless Eldrazi creature token. 
that's really good. That's really, really good and yeah, completely it, unnecessary on Idol of Oblivion. No, you totally don't need that second ability just to make it a very good card. If you're if you're making any sort of tokens, even treasure tokens, there comes the treasures again. Uh, you make a treasure token, you can tap that to draw a card. So it's perfect partners, for, even if you're not in a super dedicated... Now, obviously, you want to maximize your chances of getting to draw a card every turn, but that automatically, two mana for an artifact that lets you draw a card, hopefully every turn, that's great. Yeah, especially if you're in a color that might otherwise struggle to, you know, provide itself with some cards in hand. I think that, for example, in God Eternal Oketra, she loves making tokens whenever you play creature spells. So this is a great way to draw some extra stuff. And you can also crack it to make a 10-10 token if you want to also start populating amazing, ridiculous, bonkers stuff. But it's just nice to have the option. But the card advantage that it provides you is really the highlight the emergency clause to suddenly make a huge 10-10 is really extra and really exciting when you do get to do it, but that card also wouldn't even necessarily need it. The card advantage itself is very powerful for the decks that want it. Well, I, I wound up playing the Jira deck in Vegas at the the release party for the Commander decks, and I dropped this on like turn two or three and never, ever wanted to sacrifice it to make the the idol. <laughs> I just was drawing so many cards off it, and I actually remember having this this mental conversation with myself as I was doing it, being like, man, that looks like a really powerful sacrifice ability, and it's completely unnecessary because this card is fantastic <laughs> as it is. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, our next card on the list, this is just in my opinion, the gravy of gravies. This is the almighty mother of them all. This is the card Mana Drain. Two mana instant to counter target spell, and at the beginning of your next main phase, you add an amount of colorless mana to your mana pool equal to the countered spell's converted mana cost. We already know how gravy this is because a two mana counter spell is the card counter spell, and that sees a lot of play. Mana Drain is also just refunding you mana, which is absolutely insane. This is the most gravy that I can think of any card ever producing. That's absolutely bonkers. Now, we should note that part of the reason Mana Drain works the way it does is because once upon a time, if you didn't spend mana you had in your mana pool, it dealt damage to you. So <laughs> right. way back in the day, this card wasn't just a better version of Counterspell that's already an awesome card. It, it was one that could potentially be better, but could also do damage to you. Nowadays, with no mana burn, it's just disgusting. Yeah, absolutely. It should tell you quite a bit about the power level of this card when Spell Swindle is kind of the quote-unquote fixed version of it. And that costs five mana to get treasures equal to <laughs> the the CMC of the, of the spell that you're countering. So the fact that this is only two mana and can ramp you quite a bit depending on what you counter, it is insane how gravious, great gravis? I don't even know. Gra <laughs> great gravy. Greg, gravy laden this card is <laughs> i mean i like i've gotten blown out completely by plasm captures before that cost two additional green to cast so like the significantly more expensive plasm capture can be really really good mana drain is is yeah it's clinically insane yeah any other gravy cards in the 99 that are jumping out to you guys um, there's two that I, I kind of often think of here whenever I see somebody play these two cards that are very similar, uh, Blind Obedience and Authority of the Consoles. If all they did was come into play as relatively cheap enchantments, I think Blind Obedience is one and a white, and I think Authority is just a single white. If mm -hmm. all they did at that casting cost was make your stuff come into play tapped, they're probably still worth it in a lot of decks. 
but that's not all they do. Blind Obedience has an extort trigger on it, which is really, really useful in way to sink mana and get some extra damage and life gain. And Authority of the Consoles gains you life when creatures come into play. So they both are really, really good as is, but they have added gravy poured right across the top. It's funny, actually, about Authority of the Consoles. I kind of feel like the stuff entering tapped is the gravy, and the life gain that you get is the important part for the I mean, life sure, gain decks. sure, maybe, yeah. I, I mean, you could look at it that way, absolutely. Yeah, it, it could be lacking either of those, and I still think it would be a really fine guard. Matt, any jump out to you? Uh, so one, actually, I'm going to save because I kind of fancy it as a uh, challenge of stats because I think it might be a little incorrect. Ooh. So I'm going to save mine, hint, hint, okay. For, okay. for a few minutes into the future. We'll get to that later in the show, but for now we do want to touch on just a few legendary pieces of gravy. For example, Dana, I know how you feel about some of those praetors from New Phyrexia. Well, yeah, I mean, not that they're not, you know, good cards. They're fantastic cards. Elish Norn has vigilance, and who absolutely cares about that? Elish Norn <laughs> is an amazing card, and the keyword is irrelevant. And I'd say the same thing about Sheila Dread, having Swamp Walk. Yeah. <laughs> Why does it have Swamp Walk? <laughs> because. But it does, and I guess that's really, really useful, but it's still an amazing card, even if it doesn't have keywords. Yeah, yeah, those are so excellent. They tilt the scales so much in your favor, and the keywords are just a little bit of extra, just because. And that's how I feel about probably another one of the most obnoxious gravy-ish, gravy-laden Graven is what we're calling it, I guess. Uh, sort of commanders. That's Atrax Operator's voice. That is the four mana angel horror four four flying vigilance death touch and lifelink. And at the beginning of your end step, you proliferate. Atraxa could be missing four of the words on her, <laughs> and I would still play her. She's amazing. She could be seriously lacking like probably three of those keywords, and she would still be compelling. But she has all of those keywords. That is so much stuffed into one turkey. It is absolutely bonkers stuff. I think we've clearly just established that any kind of a Phyrexian just has unnecessary keywords. Yeah, Phyrexian stuff's really good. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and we've got one other legendary piece of gravy that we want to talk about that seems to be, it's got a lot of extra abilities. Matt, you want to take this one? I sure can. So Chulane, Teller of Tales, two and Bant colors, green, a white, and a blue for a 2-4 with Vigilance. That's kind of gravy, but the main card, the main ability that everybody worries about, whenever you cast a creature spell, draw a card, then you may put a land card from your hand onto the battlefield. So we already established that there's Vigilance. Nobody really cares about the Vigilance, but there's another, there's a third ability, and <laughs> two of them don't even matter, but you can pay three and tap Chulane and return target creature you control to its owner's hand. If you picked two of the three on there, it would be very good. That middle one obviously is just absolutely bonkers great. And we've we've ranted and raved about Chulane many episodes now, but goodness, you could take the first or the last ability off of there and it still would be a very powerful card. Take yeah. the first and last abilities off and make it an O2 and it's still great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the gravy is its power and toughness. That's really funny. <laughs> Alrighty, yeah, there is a ton of gravy all over the cards that we play. Hopefully not in real life, that sounds like a really sticky game, but there are just so many cards out there in Commander that can give you those tiny extra bits of value. Sometimes so good that you forget that they're there, the way that I routinely do with Bolas of Citadel, but those extra edges can really add up over the course of the, the game, so we wanted to just highlight those extra things that make cards a little bit spicier, a little bit more extra special for the beginning of this holiday season. For now, though, let's move on to 
challenging some stats. Matt, you had teased that you have a challenge, so take it away. I do. So my challenge is going to be for any deck, really, that wants any sorts of fog effects. Fog is already played in about 2,000 decks or so. Fog variants aren't terribly uncommon. There's even a commander that is all about fogs. But I'm going to talk about one specifically because it led to an insane play this past weekend. It is Arachnogenesis. It is two and a green for an instant. Put X, one, two spider creature tokens onto the battlefield where X is the number of creatures attacking you. Prevent all combat damage that would be dealt by non-spiders this turn. Oh my gosh. So it's a fog for three mana, which isn't great, but fog effects are pretty powerful. But the fact that this makes tokens, if you look at the token theme page on EDHREC, this does not show up at all. And this has the potential to make a great amount of tokens. Uh, I personally made eight this past weekend. Um, I was being attacked by an Audric player with a lot of big indestructible creatures. It was going to kill not just me, but the rest of the table. So I fogged all of his creatures and made eight of my own. Then I untapped and played Crater Hoof, which killed everybody as well. So, but Woof. the point is, the, the fog effect is great, but the fact that you make tokens, you make blockers, and so you can pick off any of the attackers that are problematic. And it, it's really hard, actually, to tell which part of this card is gravy. Three mana for a fog. Like <laughs> it. It's not great, but you make a bunch of tokens. Or you can just use this as three mana to make a bunch of tokens. And oh, by the way, you fogged everybody else, too. So you can use this politically. You can save other players. Man, the, the applications for Arachnogenesis are amazing. It's only in 2,377 decks total right now. But like I said, it doesn't show up on token pages at all. The utility of a well-timed fog, people will never see coming. But once they see it once, they are going to play around it. It will be in the back of everybody's heads the rest of the time you play that deck. Yeah, that's a really good card. I have to imagine that its limited numbers here are directly correlated to the fact that it's now like a $12 card or something like that. It is. But it's so insane. If, if you have the ability to play Arachnogenesis, though, that is a really solid card for just about any green deck. But it definitely falls into sort of that path to exile camp where this card is a little bit pricey, which is why it has low numbers. But don't let the low numbers trick you. It's still an excellent, excellent card. All right, I'm going to move on to my challenge this week. I don't think I've picked this one before. This is the card Throws of Chaos, and I'm looking specifically within the context of the card Savin the Chronoclasm. Savin the Chronoclasm was the face commander of the Jeskai flashback deck from Commander 2019. It prevents all damage that would be dealt to himself, and it says that whenever you cast a spell from your graveyard, you can copy that spell, which is really cool or at least it seems like it would be really cool, for a card like Throws of Chaos. This was from Modern Horizons. It's a four-mana sorcery that just has two rules, text, words on it. Cascade and Retrace. So Cascade says that when you cast the spell, you exile cards from the top of your library until you find a non-land card that costs less mana, and you can cast that spell without paying its mana cost. And then Retrace it says that you can cast this card from your graveyard by discarding a land card in addition to paying its other costs. Seems like a slam dunk in Savin, right? Turns out, no, these do not work together like at all. Because Throws of Chaos doesn't actually have any game text, really. It has a triggered ability of Cascade, but Savin will not copy that. So even if you can retrace Throws of Chaos from your graveyard, Savin will copy nothing about Throws of Chaos. So to the 12% of folks that are playing Throws of Chaos in a Savin deck, this is your challenge. Take that card out right away because it doesn't actually get double Cascade. You'd be better suited finding a different retrace or flashback spell instead. 
That's interesting. Just reading it now, it makes a lot of sense. So I, I, I don't like to do this often, Joseph, but I agree with your challenge. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate it, Matt. Dana, what is yours? Um, my card is a common that's in about 700 decks, but specifically I'm looking at Arabo War of the World. It's only in about 25% of those decks, and I'm talking about Lost Leonin. It was a common from New Phyrexia. It's a 2-1 for 2 mana that has infect, and that's it. But why it's relevant in Arabo is Arabo has two abilities. At the beginning of combat on your turn, if Arabo's in the command zone or on the battlefield, another target cat you control gets plus 3, plus 3 until end of turn. Lost Leonin is a cat soldier. It's a 2-1, so if you use Arabo's ability, it becomes a... 5-4 at that point. Arabo has a second ability. Whenever another cat you control attacks, you may pay one green and white. If you do, it gains trample and plus X plus X until end of turn where X is its power. Lost Leonin at this point is now a 5-4. Arabo's second ability makes it a 10-9, which kills somebody with infect damage in one shot. That's mean. Why it's you gotta a, be so mean? It's a, it's a cheap card. It's like 20 cents. It's efficient to cast. It costs two mana. And if you are playing a Rabo where there's not exactly a, a overwhelming amount of like good cats to run in that deck, it should be in more than like 28% of a Rabo decks. It should be in a lot more since it has the ability using Rabo's abilities to just kill a person in one shot. And so that, that other triggered ability where you pay mana to double the cat's power, that only works while Arabo's in play. Yes. But you don't even necessarily need that. One of the specialties of Arabo is how aggressive it can be by giving that plus three, plus three to one of your early drop cats in the game. So you could play that Leonin on turn two with the Infect. Next turn, give it plus three and attack a defenseless opponent for five Infect. And next turn, they are sweating. Yep. Exactly. Even without Arabo in play. That's nasty. And if you get it later on in the game and you have the ability, you can just one-shot somebody. It's It just, I mean, it would be one thing, I thought, if there were, if, if cats were like, you know, goblins or elves or something where it's a really deep pool of good creatures in that pool. It's not a deep pool in terms of cats. It's It gets pretty <laughs> dire at about, after about the 10th the creature. And it should be in more, way more Robo decks than it is. Oh, man. I, I Matt, lost can, many games to the, the exact scenario you have cooked up, Dana. <laughs> I was just going to say, Matt, can can you, you know, get behind Dana's infecting the Selesnia? Like, is he is he besmirching your usual good-natured Selesnia-ness, or is this exactly what you're all about? Oh, no, this is exactly what I'm all about. Uh, no, I've just <laughs> lost. This specific interaction has cost me many games. Uh, one of my best friends, he bought the cat deck when we did our our pre-con league where we upgraded cards after every game, he chose the cat deck and go figure lost Leonin was like the second card he added to the deck. So yeah, we got blown out many, many times by lost Leonin. Awesome stuff. Well, fellas, I think with that, we are going to call this episode to a close. So I'd like to thank you so much for joining me. And Hey, if our listeners would like to get in touch with us, where can they find you all? Matt? You can find me on the Twitters at Mathemus 55, M-A-T-H-I-M-U-S 55. And Dana. You can find me on Twitter birds at Dana Roach, and you can hear me twice a week on my other podcast, CMDR Central. 
And I'm Joey Schultz. You can find me at Joseph M. Schultz on Twitter. Special thanks to our editor for the show, Ken Peddle, also known as Kenish Norn. You can follow him on Twitter at Loader. That's L-O-A-D-3-R. You can follow EDH Rec and the cast on Facebook and Twitter, and you can contact us at edhreccast at gmail.com. Plus, you can find us on iTunes. And if you do, please consider leaving us a review to help other folks find the podcast as well. Listeners, we hope you've had a terrific start to your holiday season, and you should let us know what is your favorite gravy-laden card. This podcast is posted every week on EDHREX Community Content Spotlight section, where we feature as many other content creators as we can, from Command Zone to Commander's Brew to Commander Versus, not to mention new articles published every day by our own fantastic team of writers. So we'll be back at you next week with more data and insights, but until then, remember, EDHREX your deck before you wreck your deck. Like, he did a really good job, so I was like, okay, I, I can tolerate this lack of interaction. Like, it was very much like if Ron Swanson, like, thought he was cutting hair on Rodeo Drive, just, like, sit down, shut up, I'm going to do your thing. But, like, he always, like, every time that he would do something, he had a ton of flair with it. So he'd be, like, measuring my hair, snip, flip his scissors back into his hand. Like, all sorts of just, like, unnecessary grandeur that's not the type of thing that i want from my hair stylist professional is like sweeping activity and like clever tricks with scissors in hand like tom cruise and cocktail you don't want that from your barber no no